nice to see you guys. Um, my name is Daniel, colloquially known as Dan, which I actually really enjoy. I, I really be like being called Dan, but I don't normally go by Dan because there's normally another Dan in the room. Like, it's very seldom that you're only Dan in the room, but two years here, more than that, three years, um, and no other Dans that I know of anyway. Um, I am, uh, yeah, just, uh, anyway, um, yeah, I'm Daniel. I'm one of the leaders here at Blueprint, um, if you don't know me. Um, yeah, before I start, I just wanted to name, uh, I guess, that I'm feeling kind of a little bit anxious coming le leading up to this and have been in the lead up to this. Um, and I think that's okay to kind of name, I think, in a crowd that I know other people might be feeling similarly as well. Um, and so if that's you, um, just know that, yeah, God loves you and wants to bring peace um, through this time to you for you. Yeah, just, just thought I'd share that. Um, I, I said some ramble on the start of my notes, so I've, I've, I can take that off. Um, Probably some other jokes, but I forgot them now, so let's, let's move on. Uh, last week, I uh, shared around the topic of hope um, and, and these nagging questions that I had um, back in my mind for the last three months, which were, do you believe the gospel is good news? Do you believe the gospel is actually good news? And do you believe it is good news to all people? Do you believe the gospel is actually good news? Do you believe it is good news to all people? Um, and I share my general sense um, that there's a general lack of belief in the potency of in the gospel and um, in the good news Jesus has for us. And, and, and part of that is reflected in the way we, we, we fail to share, I think, about the gospel. And so there's a challenge there, a challenge of sharing the gospel, but also likewise a sharing of believing the good news. Um, and then I, I spoke to the two things that um, I felt God speak to me through his time was of hope and of grace. Um, and, and last week, in respect of hope, um, I spoke in respect of hope and shared three points. So that first, our hope is grounded in Christ and what he has done, is doing, and will do in the future. That point two is that hope is a countercultural, radical posture. And three, that hope of Christ is good news for everyone. And today, I want to share on the second half of that, which is grace and the good news that is to all of us. Which is why I was excited um, for your good story, Stuart. Here's around. Um, Stuart's good story, which actually just ties really beautifully into what I'm going to share today. So yeah, just thought it was really awesome. Um, so first, uh, tonight, I'm going to start with a definition, like last week. Um, last week, I joked it's because um, I was a lawyer, and as well, I like definitions, which got a louder laugh last time. But um, but <laughs> but this turns out you say the same joke twice, it doesn't get the same amount of laughs. Um, but, but the real reason I like um, definitions is that words like hope, words like grace, um, just have so many different meanings depending on the context we use it in everyday speak. Um, am I speaking about grace, our friend who moved to the States to study? Um, am I speaking about grace, the thing we say at the dinner table? Or the grace, the thing that we seemingly always have to pair with the word amazing in church? <laughs> um, long setup uh, for that one. <laughs> um, Ephesians 2 verse 8 says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourself, it is a gift from God. For, for it is grace you have been saved through faith, and it is not from yourself, it is a gift from God. So the definition of grace I want to work with today is this. Grace is a gift of mercy given by God through his delight and favor, not because of our deserving of it, rather in spite of it. Grace is a gift of mercy given by God through delight and favor, not because of our deserving of it but rather in spite of it. And, and, and th this is my first point for the evening. Grace is a gift from God, by God, freely and in spite of us. 
as Ephesians 2.8 emphasizes, not from ourselves that we receive grace. And this is a profound and really important truth that we often forget in a world where performance um, is at the heart of everything we do, how we perform, how we act in the world. Um, we so easily forget that the core of our faith is this, right? At the central heart of our faith is an unwarranted gift given out of God's delight and favor in, in, in us, not because of what we do, but in spite of what we do. And this is the nature of God. Way back in Exodus 34, 6, um, God is described as compassionate and gracious, abounding in love and faithfulness. That at the very start of how we describe God, gracious is one of the first few things that um, the, the writers um, speak to. And as I spoke last week, in grounding our hope in life, death, resurrection of Jesus, the fundamental understanding of grace must too be found in what God has done. The ultimate, or the ultimate act of grace is that founded in Jesus, what has Jesus done, his death on the cross to win our salvation in spite of us, in spite of us. And one of my favorite mysteries and stories of the Bible um, happens in the three synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke. And it's as Jesus dies on the cross, um, this is kind of, some of them have a, an earthquake, um, but the Roman centurion and those guarding Jesus um, sees Jesus die, and, and then they declare, and he declares, the, the Roman centurion, surely this man was the son of God. Surely this man was the son of God. It's a reminder that the first declaration of the divinity of Christ after Jesus' death is actually the very people who crucified Christ. And whenever I read this, I rem- what I remember is that God's grace is for the Roman centurion as much as it is for me. It's not because of what I or you have done, but in spite of what is, or what we have done, that God has given us His grace. And I know I labor a really simple point that is kind of, yeah, drilled into you, but perhaps this is the most important truth. And so point one is grace is a gift given by God freely and in spite of us. Everyone following along so far? Okay? Cool. I'm just going to drink water. Uh, so I believe that um, I believe that this profound, this this yeah, grace um, is the distinctive teaching. One of the distinctive teachings of following Christ. Um, when C.S. Lewis was asked, "What is so unique about Christianity?" he says, "Oh, that's easy. It's grace. Grace, the unwarranted, unmerited grace from God, sets followers of Christ apart." So, my point too is that. It is a countercultural, radical, and transformative act to freely receive and to freely give the grace of Christ. It is a countercultural, radical, and transformative act to freely receive and to freely give the grace of Christ. And this is where I'm going to spend the majority of this talk. Um, I want to start with um, uh, a parable Jesus tells. It's called the parable of the unforgiving servant. Um, some of you guys might know it. It, it happens um, in, in Matthew. Um, it talks about um, the story of a servant who owned, earned, who owes. 10,000 talents um, to a king. Not like 10,000 talent shows. 10,000 talents is a currency. Just an aside, in case you were just thinking he like had to juggle 10,000 ten, 10, times. Um, and the king basically says um, that because he could not um, pay this debt, um, he commands him to sell all that he has. Um, and then the servant begs forgiveness, uh, and, and the king says, well, all right, I've been moved to mercy, and I'm going to forgive you of all your debts or 10,000 talents. Then the servant who's been forgiven of all his debts goes out, finds another servant who owes him 100 denarii, and he asks him to pay what he owes. 
and, and this is a poetic parable, the servant begs him in the same way the servant, um, the, the guy who's asking for the money now, has begged, begged the king to forgive him. And he doesn't forgive the other servant and chucks him in jail for it, basically. That's the parable um, in the shortest form. You can read it in the Bible. It's, it's there. Um, some fun ancient math for you. It's not relevant to the talk, but I love math. So um, 10,000 talents is worth 600,000 ti times larger than 100 denarii. So equivalent to 200,000 years of worth of wages. So it's a lot. It's a big difference between the two. And, and the point I guess I want to make here is that the grace we freely receive from God is the grace that we are freely expected to give. We are expected to freely give. I'll say again because I stuffed it up. The grace we freely receive from God is the grace we are expected to freely give. Jesus tells his story with the foresight of his death and the ultimate gracious act of God. And so in the same way we are asked to give grace to others, I think this point is pretty clear. Um, yeah. And I think that the second point I want to make with this is that um, something that came up in kind of my counseling sessions, which will come up in a bit, um, uh, about a month, a month, two months ago, maybe, um, where, 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 the, where my counselor said, um, grace is channeled, not created. Grace is something that is channeled, not created. And I think what he meant was that where we haven't received grace, it is really, really difficult to actually give grace. The ultimate source of grace is in God. And so when we give grace, when we give and we freely give of grace, it must come from the free receipt of grace from God. So my in my read one of my readings of this parable is that the only reason the servant here is the servant, the, the kind of middle servant, there's two servants, it's kind of confusing, and the, the middle servant whose debts are forgiven is expected to and can give grace to the other servant. It's precisely because his debts have been forgiven, right? Because he owes 10,000 denarii, 10,000 talents to this other king. And, and kind of the, the, the moral impetus in the story is that his 10,000 talents have been forgiven, yet he doesn't forgive the 600 that he's owed, right? The act of freely receiving from God and freely giving are inherently tied. And so I want to start with that first part then. What does it mean to freely receive? What does it mean to freely receive grace? Because I think this has been a journey I've been on for last few years, and I believe that, well, I mean, all my whole life, I guess, but um, pre predominantly last few years intentionally. And there's been this, um, yeah, I believe that right now that I have that um, the free receipt of grace is actually grace for ourselves. The free receipt of grace for ourselves is both countercultural and transformative. So in the last few while, I've found this profound freedom in learning to receive grace for myself and holding a posture of grace for myself, learning to receive grace from God, learning to receive grace from others. And it's been this kind of amazing, yeah, freedom that has come to defeat shame and my performative kind of perfection. And yeah, back to counseling. I, I, I often talk about counseling because I really think it's an awesome thing. And it's been a, such a yeah, transformative thing for me. Um, and one of the things that's been transformative for me has been the concept of grace for myself, um, which turns out I was really bad at. Uh, one counseling session I had been, I just came from a work meeting, um, and I was wrecked with like guilt, self-guilt, and shame, and condemnation um, for a really, really small mistake in the scheme of things. No harm done. Actually, no harm done. It was, it was I emailed the wrong person, but it was actually the right person, um, um, and, and it wrecked me. I was actually paralyzed by it. And through that session, 
I was kind of discussing, I guess, my my the perfectionist like thing that is built in my head, um, and and this idea that and what came out from that was this idea of grace, grace for myself, and having a posture of grace for myself, which defeats my need to be perfect. It is the recognition. Recognition. It's the recognition. It's good that I make a mistake just then for the point. Um, it's my recognition that I do and will make mistakes, that I'm not perfect, or sometimes, um, or even sometimes not deserving of grace. Um, yet Christ has given me grace anyway. Christ has forgiven me anyway. And there isn't a very definition of grace that is undeserving, unmerited. In a world that wants us to perform in a particular way, that values perfection, that values excellence, receiving grace for yourself is perhaps the most transformative and radical act. And when we learn to freely receive, then we can freely give. As a wise sage once said, if you don't love yourself, how in the hell are you going to love somebody else? Can I get an amen? Um, that's a reference for some people. Uh, that's real clearly. Uh, um, through this free receipt, we are asked to freely give the grace of God. I believe this grace is both countercultural and transformative. The free gift of God, God's grace is countercultural and transformative. It's countercultural in the sense that I believe we live in a world and a culture that values judgment over grace. Speaking from a personal level, I've seen time and time again people choose judgment over grace in our relationships with one another. Now, I want to speak really carefully here. I've been wrestling with this for the last two months. Um, I'm very clear, I'm not talking about a lack of accountability. Accountability is really important. Um, Dietrich Bonhoeffer speaks of grace without repentance as cheap grace. And I actually don't believe that um, accountability without grace is what God's justice looks like. Um, but um, but, but I, I do not believe, sorry, that accountability without grace is what God's justice looks like. Grace without accountability is cheap, cheap grace. And accountability without just grace is not God's justice. I think a powerful story of this is perhaps found in, um, in Jesus' interaction with Zacchaeus. I, I really like the story. Um, Paul, is Paul around? Uh, Paul was around. Paul Holmes and I have been um, journeying through Zacchaeus um, on Wednesday morning coffee. It's been really fun, actually. Um, and I've learned a lot um, in that process. And um, Zacchaeus, if you don't know, is this kind of wealthy tax collector. He's like the, the head tax collector. I remember, <laughs> just try to remember this. I remember um, one of my first services at Blueprint was someone... Remember Scotty or someone who was um, speaking about Zacchaeus and really went ham on lawyers? And I was a lawyer? And I kind of sat there and I was like, ooh, <laughs> how fun. <laughs> um, 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 anyway, um, um, so we've got um, Zacchaeus who's this very much uh, kind of shunned by society. Um, he, he's not a great guy, um, let's be honest here. And, and he hears Jesus coming to town, so he climbs a tree. Everyone knows the, the tree climbing thing. He climbs a tree and Jesus sees him. He's like, Zacchaeus, come down, eat with me. Um, invites him over to the house, and, and everyone's kind of like, why would Jesus invite this man? And this happens a lot in the Bible, right? But this particular instance, um, uh, I went on Wikipedia, and I had a great summary. It says, the crowd was shocked that Jesus, a religious teacher slash prophet, would sully himself by being a guest of a sinner, which I thought was really good. Um, Wikipedia is quite helpful sometimes for summarizing Bible stories, by the way. Uh, it's not. Uh, <laughs> uh, and through, but through this decision of grace, um, we see that Zacchaeus' heart becomes transformed um, through this decision of grace by Christ to go to eat with Zacchaeus. We see that um, Zacchaeus' heart is transformed. But this 
transformation comes with the accountability as well, right? Zacchaeus says, look, Lord, here's now, I give half of my possessions to the poor, and I've, if I cheat at anyone of anything, I'll pay back four times the amount. So there's two parts that I see in this, right? First part, there's a process of accountability that in that, right? And second, that through Jesus' grace, Zacchaeus's heart is transformed. The grace offered freely to him transforms his heart and leads him to the accountability for his wrongs. Um, yeah, that story that stands out. Uh, a few of us are going to um, Les Miserables um, being performed. I'm quite excited for that. Um, one of my favorite uh, musicals. Um, and I'm going to spoil the, some of the plot, I guess the first act, but surely this been, it's been around for 40-something years. Like um, It's kind of your fault if you haven't watched it. Um, um, Jean Valjean, uh, main character, um, I don't know, I, I never know where to pitch this, like, uh, but Jean Valjean um, escapes prison, um, and then he kind of like goes and hides and seeks refuge in a church, right? And in his desperation, he steals the bishop's silver. Uh, he steals the bishop's silver, and the police catch him, drag him before the bishop, and he's like, this man says that you're given his silver. They're, they're all singing, by the way, if you, didn't, if you don't know what the concept of musicals are. Um, <laughs> um, this man steals, has stolen his silver, and the bishop um, grabs these um, candlesticks and gives him the candlestick, saying, um, yeah, I gave it to him, and he actually forgot these, um, which always nearly makes me cry, and reminds me of my, when I took my mom to watch it in movies, she started crying at this scene and didn't end, didn't stop to the very end. It was impressive how many tears there were. Um, she thought the lady next to her was crying, but she was actually asleep, um, which was quite funny. Um, but in this moment, Jean Valjean's life becomes transformed. The grace of the bishop, in this case, transforms Jean Valjean's life in the same way Zacchaeus' life trans is transformed. There's a complexity here, um, which is why you may find me kind of um, speaking somewhat generally. Um, there's a complex web of accountability, grace, justice, and honestly, I don't have an exact answer for it. I've been thinking about this for a long time. But what I do know is this. What I do know is this. That our God is a God of grace. Our God is a God of grace. And we have received an abundant grace from God. And God asks us to offer it freely. That our God is a God of grace and we have received an abundant grace from God. And God asks us to offer it, offer it freely. And that when we offer this grace and when we offer this grace, it is transformative to the people around us. It's transformative to us. It's transformative to the people around us and the society around us. So this is point two. It is a countercultural, radical, and transformative act to freely receive and to freely give the grace of Christ. My final point is this. It's a very simple point, and it's the same point as the third point from last time. Anyone tracking along, I've kind of used the same format as last time. My final point is this, is that the God, grace of God is good news to everyone. The grace of God is good news to everyone. It's good news to me. It's good news to you. It's true for you, true for me, true for everyone. God, God is the source of all grace. And we are called to be good news. We're called, the good news is that we freely receive this grace and we freely give it in a way that's countercultural, that is radical, that is ultimately transformative. Yeah. So, point one grace is a gift given by God freely and in spite of us. Point two it is a countercultural, radical, and transformative act to freely receive and to freely give the grace of Christ. And point three, the grace of God is good news to everyone. So let's pray, eh? As we invite up the yeah, worship team.